You only get into out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm -hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much. Yeah. Somebody said the football is a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, Series 2, Episode 5. Let's have a little look at who we've got on the show this week. Yeah, my name's um, Dan Nardiello. Uh, I was a professional uh, footballer for 17 years. I played a couple of years at the end of my uh, career semi-pro as well, but started off at United. Um, and I had numerous clubs uh, in those 17 years. Uh, I lived all over the country, lived London, you know, South East, South West, Northeast, Northwest for a bit as well. And the only place that I never actually played was uh, the Midlands where I'm from. But yeah, 17-year career. Very, very lucky to, to have done that for, for such a long period of time. As usual, I'm joined by Ryan and Ant. Fellas, how are we? Absolutely tremendous. Good. Ant, yourself, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm not sure I'm as good as Ryan. Sounds, uh, sounds very happy there. Just got to be hey. positive, haven't you? Yeah, well, that's it, mate. The listeners have certainly flew in today. They've heard your positivity and they're up for another man-marking. And I, for one, don't blame them. Um, <laughs> before we get started, we've got a, another opening question. We obviously, at the weekend, we saw the Bundesliga was on again. Uh, Leipzig gave Mainz a 5-0 shellacking. So what I want to know from you two fellas is, what is your most memorable shellacking from football history? And I'm going to start with you, mate. Okay, uh, so the Germany 7-1 against Brazil. Brazil are being humiliated, humbled and taken apart by Germany. And their supporters simply cannot believe what they have seen. Well, it's... Um, it's got seven in it, so uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good one. It, it's World Cup semi-final. You're not going to get anything like that ever again, really. They just capitulated, didn't they, Brazil? It was um, it was quite awkward to watch, and it was quite fun to watch the Germans in the second half not try and score as many as they probably could have. Um, Ryan, what about you, lad? Um, I think Ant takes some beating because of the stage it was done on, but I think I'd have to go with last season's Leicester Southampton. Was that eight or that nine? Was that nine nil? This season. This season. This season? Was that nine? Yeah. Nine. Perez! They're running right in the rain now, Leicester. Iosi Perez opens his account for Leicester City. And Southampton and man down are really falling apart. The fact it was away from home. Southampton are hardly like bottom of the league with two points. And Leicester, although they're good, they're not like Man City or anyone. So I think... That will never be. That'll be hard to be repeated again. Away from home, nine nil. So Daniel Nardiello, ex United, ex Rotherham, ex Barnsley, ex Berry. And do you want to give the listeners a little idea as to why we wanted to speak to Dan? Yeah, I mean, originally, you know, we, we looked at him. I only know him really from uh, mainly from Football Manager. He was always a good player on there. 
Um, and you look at his career when we were going through the research for it and you look at that career and you're going, wow, he's, he's been at some places at, at, at good times as well. You know, joining United, you know, late period of the 90s and, and that amazing side and that amazing setup as it was. It was probably the best in the country at the time. Um, and then you go into to Barnsley in that FA Cup run and, and, and you feel the experience that he's gained in the interview from from that time at United to to that FA Cup run as well and, and all the experience that he gains thereafter as well. So um, we were really excited to talk to him. I think we'd spoken to uh, Jamie Curriton the day before and, and speaking to another footballer who'd, who'd had probably nearly near enough as much experience as, as Curriton was really good to listen to and, and somebody who's gone through injuries as well. It was um, It was definitely a great insight into how to keep going. Ryan, we always have a theme. Do you want to tell the listeners what this episode's theme is, mate? Yeah, so this week's theme is growing up at United, playing through pain and the transition to a nine-to-five. That's enough from us. This is Daniel Nardiello's interview. We'll see you on the other side. Um, this podcast is obviously exploring um, mental health in, in, in football and, and men's mental health. Could you give us an idea as to why you agreed to, to give us an interview for, for Man Marking? Well, I think it's a it's a big issue. I think it's always been a big issue. It's a, it's a huge topic now. Uh, I think more and more people, are, whether it's in football or any walk of life, are coming out and talking. And, and, and you know, that, that's the key thing, really, isn't it? Is people coming out, being able to talk, not being ashamed uh, to do so. And, and I think anybody who can give a positive insight into it or, you know, say it's a positive thing to do would be a good thing. So I'm, I'm more than happy to, to come along and, and have a chat about it. Is um, have you ever had any personal experience with with sort of mental health issues either with yourself or with family members or friends or anything? Done? Um, well, I've got a couple of people now that I didn't know at the time that were having issues. They've a couple of ex teammates who've who've come out. They've they've released articles themselves. I think um, they you know, they wouldn't mind me mentioning them at all. But uh, at the time, travelling in with them, you know, to to training to football matches. Didn't have a clue. I think looking back, with a bit more of a mature head on my shoulders, I think it's, it's probably rife in the football world. And, you know, there's a lot of lads that were going through difficult times. And only now I can probably see that they were having having issues. In terms of myself, I've, I think I'm very lucky. Um, I had periods of my career when I was down, um, but never really, I'd never say I had mental, mental health issues, uh, which I suppose I'm, I'm very lucky that it's never really affected me. Just give us, take us all the way back to the start of your career. How did that football career begin? Um, well, I suppose I suppose it started when I was a kid. I think when I was 12, 13, I was, I was a decent player for that age. And I signed for Wolves and then I went to the National Football School. Um, just uh, I think it was just before my 14th birthday, I started the National Football School uh, with the likes of, you know, Jermaine Defoe, Leon Knight, uh, to name a couple that were there as well. And I think that was when I started to spark some interest from the likes of United. And, and um, my dad went to visit quite a few clubs, a few managers, uh, spoke to quite a lot of you know, scouts, etc. on the phone. And it was, um, it was it just all, all happened so fast. But as a young lad, you just, uh, you just go with it and enjoy it. And it was, you didn't think anything of it at the time, but all these clubs that are trying to, Chase your signature as a 14-year-old. And in the end, I signed for United, went to National Football School, and then obviously started professionally with United uh, when I left when I left school, which was, you know, 
I'm not really really uh, big thing. Now. I look back on it, it was it was great. Not that I realised at the time, but it was a it was a huge honour to sign for such a big club. It was about 1999, was it? Yeah, I think so. My first season was the year after they won the treble. So I remember my first game at Old Trafford. What going along to watch as as a player, as a professional player. Well, they they came out to the Champions League music because they'd obviously just won the, the Champions League the previous May. You know, the season started and that was my first proper season after I just won the treble, yeah. Did you always want to be a footballer? Was there any ever doubt that you were never going to be a footballer? Or did you ever? No, that, that, I think that's the key thing. I, I was really confident. I had a lot of belief as, as a young lad and I think I remember a couple of teachers telling me at school, you you can't put, pin all your hopes on being a footballer. It's not all about football. I think, well, I'm going to be a footballer. Um, I was obviously half decent, but you, you never think you're going to make it, make it. Or adults, teachers, family might not think you'll make it, make it. But in my head, as a you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old, I thought it was it was a no brainer. That's what I was going to do. Uh, and luckily enough for me, like I say, I managed to have a you know quite a long career and, and I did something that I love for so long. So you were picked up by United at a, at a pretty young age. Um, when they offered you those professional terms, what was that like? Again, it's it's now only now that you know now I've finished playing football that I really appreciate it because you know I had a I had a contract, I had a three year contract before I even took my GCSE uh, exam. So it was just like it was normal. I didn't know any different, and you know to turn up, rock up at you know the cliff at the time was the first place I trained at United. It, it, it was normal, and it's really weird to say that, but I didn't know any different, and only like I say only now can I really appreciate what it was like. So what was that like for you in school? Was it, you know, you've got a three-year contract before you've done your maths? Mm. Were you the, the talk of school, a little bit embarrassed? or? Um, I think, when I, yeah, because obviously I went to the National Football School. Uh, so there was there was 16 of us um, all there who went to a normal school. Uh, so it was, it was quite normal, a scenario in that sense. But when I went back home and it was with my normal normal friends that I'd grown up with my whole career, my whole career, uh, youth um yeah i think when i went back home spoke to my mother like people just couldn't believe that i you know signed for united and and or i was i was going to sign for united and, and family they were the guys that really you know knew, knew how much of a big deal that was so you mentioned going and training at the cliff obviously around that time 1999 united have got beckham skulls nicky Buck, <laughs> gary neville yeah I mean, that must have been the first time you get on that training fist, that must have been amazing. Well, yeah, because I, I remember, I remember um, obviously it was, I was just before I, I went, uh, well, I was still, still at high school, I should say, and, you know, you, you were following United. And as a Coventry fan, you still appreciated them. And I, and I watched them a couple of times when they came to Highfield Road. But, you know, you, these guys were amazing, brilliant. I think absolute legends in, in their own right. And, to go there and start being around them at first, you're like, oh, that's it, again, it just becomes normal. Um, you're there every day with, with the likes of the players you're saying, and Keane, Skulls, Giggs, Beckham, Nevilles. And it, it, it's it's really it's quite surreal, really, because it was like I say, it just, it just ended up being normal. And it was other people that you know, family, friends that asked all questions. But once after a week or two of being there, we had our in initiation service when we. I had to go into the first team dressing room. I won't go into too much detail, but they they abused us a little bit. But it was all all fun and games, and uh, it was it was great to be part of that you know squad um, in, in around those kind of players. So that 
initiation periods. Obviously, you don't have to go into any detail of it. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but was that we've come across a couple of footballers who've said that that's happened throughout the game when they're yeah. growing up. Um, was that like constant, or was it like you know first week and then we leave it, or was it like little bit bits of I suppose what they call character building, but some would call bullying. Uh, if you're looking back on it, was that like I constant? I think no, no, not at all. Not United, it wasn't. It was literally, we were in there for an hour. We all, we did some silly things. We played some silly games, but it was nothing, nothing like I saw afterwards. If that, I think oh, you're not, and the lads did it there the right way. It was fun. It was not, there was no bullying. And if, to be honest, I don't remember anyone being uncomfortable doing it, but if they were, it, it wasn't an issue. Because I remember lads later on and, you know, other youth team lads that came through the years after that, that were uncomfortable and they weren't made to do it. Whereas, I've been at other clubs and I think you could could go and you could say it was bullying and it went too far and I think players had to step in. So but as far as United goes, it was it was great. It was character building, it wasn't too harsh and, and it was done the right way. It was funny and they did, you know, they did take the mick out of us a little bit, but it was nothing nothing too much and it was nothing that I certainly could not not handle. Whereas I witnessed a few things afterwards that I, I don't think was particularly the right way to go about things. You know, as a young player, you're in that well, you're in that dressing room. You're trying to get into that first team. What was that like? Today? Was it fun or was it difficult at times? It was a time of life. It genuinely, really was. It was in terms of my football life. Those three years as a youth team player, growing up at Manchester United, it was it was phenomenal. Looking back on it, I mean, obviously it was it was near impossible to get into that first team. Only very very few players do. Especially at that time, uh, you know, with all the, the superstars and the fact they were dominated, you know, English football and, and European football to some extent. But for me, it was just, it was fantastic. It was great. The, the banter we had in the changing room was amazing. We lived in digs with like three or four other lads. It was just, it was just fun all the time. I probably could have used my time a bit more productively, but in terms of, you know, as a 16, 17 year old lad, 18 year old lad, it earning, you know, half decent money. For, for, for my age or for any age to be honest it was a, it was a great contract and it was just constant fun um, I loved every minute of it and the training they, they trained us hard but it, it was great it was it was it was great being in that environment working with those kind of players and, and the lads that uh, you know I started there with will, will, a lot of them will, will be friends forever so moving on from Manchester United in 2005 you end up going to Barnsley mm. uh, on a permanent deal, what was the difference? How was how did you deal with the difference from United to the Barnsley? Um, well, it, yeah, I had to leave. I had to go. Um, ultimately, I was I think it was twenty two um, or coming up to twenty two, about around twenty two years old. And I played a couple of first team games for United. Didn't been you know train with them on a daily basis. Been in around the first team squad and travelled to clubs. But ultimately, I, I had a meeting with with uh, Sir Alex and he said, look, I could give you another one year contract. I think he was being polite uh, because, but I think you need to go out and play because you've obviously got a few clubs after you're interested in you. Um, go out and play and, and, and prove what you, what you can do and sign for Barzi because I've been there previously on loan. Uh, I, I loved, I loved playing there. Uh, I had a great relationship with the, the staff and the fans and I thought it was no brainer for me to go there. And it was, it, it was, again, it was, it was, it was just a smooth transition wasn't I wasn't too upset I think I just I just took it as it was I think in in football or anything you've got to be you've got to be mentally strong sometimes in, in situations like that and 
that just becomes part of the part of your, your livelihood. Going to a new... sorry, go on. Go for it. No, yeah, go, go. It's just part. Of, it's like I just took it as part and parcel of being a footballer, and that's what it was. It was, you know, the, the, my my journey at United had come to an end, and and it was now about me trying to do as well as I could elsewhere. So you know, you you mentioned touched upon there about you know being mentally strong. Was there yeah? Is there anything you can kind of look back on now and and go? I used kind of this technique or I relied on my family or is there anything you used to, to keep yourself in that mindset? I, th- I, 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 I'm very lucky in the sense that I've always been quite confident and had a lot of belief in myself. I think that's been ingrained in me from a young age because my parents were well the, the best I could hope for. Um, they, they were fantastic. You know, my dad was, came to every game. Well, that's as did my mom. It was, it was, it was constructive criticism always off my dad, who he knew the game inside out because obviously he was playing. They'd uh, and, and I just I don't I, I suppose it's all all from my upbringing and and not that you don't need to be mentally tough anywhere, but I think you do especially in football because there's so many you know knockbacks and clubs don't want you or you're injured or you're dropped. It's it's a weekly thing with with football and I suppose some of the best players I've played with at a youth youth level didn't make it and I think. Maybe because they just couldn't handle the brutality of the football world, and unfortunately, that's that's that is the way it is. And if you're not good enough, or that someone doesn't think you're good enough, it's all based on opinions. It can it can have a, a knock-on effect. So you're at Barnsley from 2005 during the 07-08 season. I think they went on that um, brilliant FA Cup run. Yeah, uh, they beat Chelsea at home uh, and. Big or the Jay header, the back post. Yeah. Um, what was that like to be a part of? Yeah, cause, well, we played Liverpool that 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 cup as well. I managed to play in that one, um, and it's funny you make because that that was one of the, my biggest um, disappointment. I remember feeling really down after that Chelsea game because even though we won, we just beat Chelsea. Big K has scored a wonder header against JT at the back post, and it was Kudachini in goal. It was it was amazing to be a part of, but I was gutted that I didn't get a chance to get on the. I was on the bench and I never came on. Um, but being part of that run, it was fantastic. Uh, it's FA Cup semi final, played at Liverpool Anfield, beat them. Uh, it, yeah, it was it's one of the most positive memories in terms of the run uh, that we had that, that I have in football because we came so close to an FA Cup semi final, which is something you can only dream of, really. So that that. Win at Anfield must have been pretty special for you as well, being a United mm-hmm. fan or you know, former United player. Yeah, it was great. I think it was just playing there and you know, taking in the atmosphere and coming up against Carragher. I've still got Carragher's shirt now. Uh, I, I think I, I had a I had a half chance as well where I took the ball off Hippier, passed him, and yeah, shot hard on low, and the keeper made a great save. And I just wish for this you know, to this day that I could have snuck in the bottom corner, but. I did manage to get a goal against Liverpool in the in my career, so I can't complain too much. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, so we before you touched upon uh, about injuries, yeah, now, we had a little look at your your career. We there were a few injuries uh, in your mm. career. How difficult were they to deal with? That was the that, that was the most difficult thing in my career were the injuries, and I think you probably asked my wife. She she probably went through the worst of it when I was annoyed. Uh, that I was injured so much. I think I struggled a lot with niggly injuries. So I had a lot of back and hip problems, but 
it wasn't so much that I had to retire, but it always had an effect on me almost every season I played in. Um, and that was probably the most difficult thing because that was something that I couldn't do anything about. Whereas other things you can you, you can do things about. You can you can change certain things if if you need to. You can you can work on your speed. You can work on your strength. This kind of thing. But ultimately, if you get injured and there's, there's nothing there's nothing you can do to you, you can do your you know rehab work and stuff. But it, it was frustrating because I was trying everything I could to try and stay fit, and then uh, it just kept on breaking down and. In the end, I found something that I could do, but it was a bit too too close to, towards the end of my end of my career. Whereas if I had that advice and guidance from a twenty year old, it would have had a I think it, I think it had a lot more positive effect on my career, and I could have played it maybe a little bit higher for a little bit longer. But ultimately, like I say, I was I was very lucky to play for as long as I did. But yeah, injuries is probably the, the toughest thing for me in my football career. How did you uh, How did you keep motivating yourself to keep coming back to keep trying? To, to keep trying to get out on that pitch? Because um, I suppose I love the game. I love football. I love playing. I love training. I love scoring goals. And I suppose it's just trying to... It was There were never injuries where they kept me out for, you know, a year, 18 months. I mean, that would... Uh, some of the lads that go out and get an injury that's going to keep them out for 18 months, that must be just brutal for them. It must be horrible. Whereas for me, the longest I had was three months. Uh, wow. Hip, hip operation um and and then I'd, i just remember being in the um in the treatment room and, and, and the gym and i just, just working my socks off because i just wanted to get back fit back back fit whereas the other ones were just out for two weeks out for three weeks out for a month were you know with the same sort of problems and it was it was just more frustrating whereas the lads that are out for the long periods it, it can be doom and gloom and ultimately you've forgotten about when you're injured uh, nobody cares about you uh, you've just got to, you, like you say, you've got to do it yourself. You've got to get your, your, your mentality right and, and just knuckle down and get your strength from your kids, your wife, your family, uh, whoever it may be, because they're the people that are going to support you through thick and thin. So was it quite lonely if from in terms of like club support from when you were injured? Or were you just doing it with the physio every other, every other day? Or... Yeah, I think you build good relationships with the injured lads. Um, so, yeah, it is. It can be. It's more frustrating, I'd say, than lonely. But you, it, it is obvious no one cares about you when you're injured. And that is that is the way football is. Well, the way I I experienced it anyway is that you might get a conversation off the manager every now and then. But ultimately, they've got a, they've got a focus on the, the fit lads and, and preparing week in, week out for, you know, for Saturday game, Tuesday game. That's what it is. It's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Saturday, Tuesday again, and it, they, they've got to focus on them and the fit lads have got to. And it, you're just there, and you've, you've got to rely on yourself and, and your family to, to to get you through. And, and you know, it is tough, but I suppose that's just the way I always found it playing football. So is it quite hard when you know you're you've got an injury, you've had a few during the season. But you're also playing for that contract. You're also playing for that job still, aren't you? So is that yeah. a lot of pressure? I think, yeah, it is. And But I suppose I just kind of accepted that's just the way it was. And when I, you know, as I got older and went down the leagues, it was, it was you know, one-year contracts, two-year contracts, three-year contracts, if you were lucky. It was none of these long-term contracts that you get in the Championship or, or Premier League. 
Um, you always that's always in the back of your mind. Again, I always bring it back to the fact that I was always confident enough that my record um, scoring goals would, would would see me through, and as long as I stay fit, I, the clubs would take a chance on me. Now that that ended because I went. Obviously, I broke my back with Berry towards the end of my career. It wasn't a bad break, but it was uh, kept me out for about three months again, or well, two and a half months, I think it was. And when I came back fit, it was around the Christmas time, and I had to go out on loan because I knew Berry wouldn't keep me on because they were going on to bigger and better things, and I had to go out and prove myself. I went to Plymouth on loan um, and then didn't play a single game. The manager didn't fancy me when I got down there. Didn't even start, didn't start one game. I think I played 20 minutes of football in three months. Um, and then I was a 33, 34 year old who, yes, I'd had a good career and scored a lot of goals, but I hadn't played a, hardly a single game the, the season before. And then the contract offers or the, the you know, the offers of trials, it, it was really difficult. And it was, which is why it brought me on to what I do now, because it kind of gave me a kick up the backside to kickstart my new career. Uh, luckily, I was I was ready to go into that, but yeah, it, it is a pressure when when you haven't got a contract, especially if you've got mouths to feed and you know bills to pay. Yeah, and I, I can imagine that's it's a, a you know a very very difficult, very very difficult situation to find yourself in. Um, mm. Just touching on, you said you had a period of Berry. Um, have you any thoughts on on their situation at the moment? How how that's all gone pretty much downhill. Have you had any contact with anyone from there? Yeah, well, I live actually because my wife, as I mentioned earlier, is from Manchester, and by pure fluke, she happens to be from the Berry area, and oh. I was we she she moved around with me obviously to to the different clubs I paid for, but then when I signed for Rotherham, we we actually bought a place back in Berry, um, just well just around the corner from Berry, and. I signed for Berry literally a couple of seasons later and, and, and we've stayed here, we've settled here. Uh, so I'm actually in the community now. So I, I do speak to quite a few Berry fans. I've been down to a couple of events they've put on because uh, they've asked me to, to come along and, and show my face. And I think it's heartbreaking the way that club was just used and abused by, you know, you know, the powers that be that were in charge of the club at the time. I think it's a disgrace. Um I know a lot of people have struggled fans wise that, you know, with the mental health thing, I think it's really, you know, really cut a few of them up. I think I've spoken to a couple of guys, one, one guy in particular, the conversation always sticks in my mind. He was, he's, he's mid fifties. He went to bury his whole life with his granddad, with his dad, with his sons, now his grandkids. And they've done that for nine months of the year for the last 50 odd years. And it's like, well, what do I do now? Home and away. And, it, and it's, it's cut them up. It's, it's, it's tough to take. And, that's 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 forgotten really when you know you see these clubs go down. It's a couple of great history and, and it's, it's tough for the for the for those fans to take. And hopefully, I know obviously with things that are going on now, we don't know what's happening in football in terms of the coronavirus. But hopefully, they will have a new club and, and something that they can you know build and, and you know it can be fan owned or whatever it may be, and they can build for the future because it has been really tough for, for the fans and the community. The the sort of initiation stuff. Uh... Yeah, United, and you said at United they they, they did it the right way. Yeah, um, and some other times they weren't they weren't you know done in the right way. Do you think that's because you know the stature of the club? Ferguson's obviously in charge. There, mm. it's always been from the outside. The stories you hear about United, particularly that time, was that it was it was run in the right way. It was a, a classy operation. Um, 
do you think that that sort of filters down from 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 the top down into even into those sort of minutiae? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. I, I don't think it was always like that. I think that I think it would have been brutal at some point. I think they could have gone too far. Different, you know, my dad tells me when he played in the seventies and you know what, what was going on there, and it, it must have been really tough back then, especially with these initiation services. But I'd, I'd like to think so. I think they'd have had a warning on how far they could go. Um, but I also think there was a place for it in football. I think it's it's great to have a connection with the first team lads and have a bit of a laugh. And as long as it doesn't go far, I think there's definitely a place for it. Whereas now I think they've completely banned it, um, which I think's probably gone a little bit too far. But it does give you a bit of character. It does give you that connection, like I say, to the first team, and you know, it's a welcome to the club in in a lot of respects. And I know. I know it was twisted. I know it was done on the other side when I was there as well. I remember the young lads. Um, it was two or three years below me, so I think it was the likes of I think Kieran Richardson and uh, Richie Jones. And that 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 year, they they did one a Christmas party, but they took the mick out of all the first team players. And 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 it was it was really good, you know, good good banter. And as long as it doesn't go far, I, like I say, I do think there's a place for it. But like you say, yeah, I do think it would have been filtered down from from the man at the top. And um... And obviously, you, you you kind of touched on. Uh, you've seen it in other places where it wasn't done in quite mm. the right way, without obviously naming names, yeah. that sort of thing. What what type of things were they that were almost you know you, you, for yourself there maybe not done in the in the right way? Yeah, well, obviously, I won't say names, clubs, or anything like that. But I, I remember we had to put a stop to it once because a couple of lads just were taking it way too far, and it was getting you know lads. Who weren't comfortable doing things like getting naked and 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 doing stuff that just just wasn't right. Um, like I said, United, it was it was fun, nothing too extreme. We had to we had to you know act out things that were quite funny with each other. Nothing wrong or anything like that, but like scenarios they gave us. It was it was fun. It was light hearted. Whereas I think other clubs have, have taken it too far and. It, for 16, 17 year old lads to be forced to do things, I, I, I didn't particularly like it. Um, and, and, and times where I didn't like it, it was stopped. And, and I think that was the right thing to do. And I just think there's, in every profession, there's a lot of idiots in football who think it's just banter. But at the end of the day, there's a line and you've got to be strict enough yourself and as a team not to cross those lines because it can have an effect on people in the long term. Just going back to your your career, Dan. You you obviously mentioned you've lived in a in a quite a number of different places. I think we counted there was about sixteen different moves that you <laughs> in your career. And and we spoke with um, we spoke with Jamie Curison yesterday, and and we were talking about how from the outside people often sort of glamorise footballers' mm. lives because of what they what they see and you know in the, the the top level and on the television, what have you. What's it? What's the reality like in comparison to what? people perceive it to be like you know moving around and moving your life around quite regularly yeah it's, it's i think again i found it okay because i just thought that's the life of a footballer and just dealt with it and got on with it i think my mom misses my wife didn't love it so she went to a few different places with me and she was she was delighted to come back home to to bury even though she loved it down in exeter it was a million miles away from her, her family and her, and her friends i think she really struggled so it's not just about the players it's the people they're taking with them as well, the family. 
uh, uprooting kids and such. Luckily, I didn't have kids at that point because it would have been a nightmare trying to take them different places all the time. But yeah, it, it can be lonely. I think there's a couple of times where I remember I was just like bored um, and you, you get mates with a couple of the other lads that don't have a girlfriend or aren't married at the time. And yeah, I, I dealt with it and I dealt with it fine. But I know a lot of lads do struggle with it. I think there was one lad in particular who, who was at United with who we signed at a younger age. He left where he was from a couple of hours away to go and live in Manchester and he really struggled and had to leave and it affects everybody differently. Um, again, I was quite lucky in the sense that I just got on with it, did it and I was okay with it. But even even now today, I think there's family members who've had to, to live, go and live a couple of hours away and, and I found it hard, at, you know, in the, during the mid thirties uh, and, and still find it hard being away from, from what they used to. So for young lads, it, it can have a massive effect. Uh, and I've seen it numerous times over my career, especially with foreign lads as well. You really miss home. Um, but for me, I, again, very lucky that I, I was okay with it, albeit a bit bored at times. But I found things to do. Could have been more productive, as I've said. But, you know, I, I, did, I, did, I got on with it fine. You, you mentioned there that the, the foreign lads who come over and, and, and that probably was more prevalent mm. when you were at, at United. Mm. Um, what we've we've obviously heard stuff about like player liaison managers and and that sort of thing. What sort of structures were there in place for obviously players coming over from abroad and from different parts of the country to to make sure they were settled or to make sure that they weren't feeling isolated? Um, when I was younger, when I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, there wasn't that much there. To be honest with you, it wasn't compared to now, next to nothing. I think clubs have have learned in the last 20 years or so that they, they need to have this kind of structure and help in place. And I think it's getting better year on year. When I was younger, there was next to nothing. I think she'd gone with it. This is where you are. And there was maybe one or two staff members, but ultimately they, they couldn't do much for you. Whereas now there's a lot more help in place. And I do think that was needed. You obviously had a, had, had an, an amazing career, as you say, spanned over 17 years, played, over 300 games, scored over, you know, 100 goals and won playoffs, played in the Champions mm. League, played internationally. Do you do you look back on your career with pride? Yeah, perhaps, yeah, I do. I think, I think I've said it several times, I'm very lucky to, to be able to do what I did and very appreciative of, of, of doing it. I played some, you know, some great stadiums, I played some great clubs, had some fantastic memories and promotions like you mentioned and, yeah, it's something that I'm very proud that I've done. Um, there's obviously a few things that I've done differently, but you can't change the past. Um, but I think injuries have, will always be in the back of my mind because I think I could have had a much better career had I not got so many silly little injuries. But again, I was still very lucky to be able to play for, for as long as I did, for the clubs I did, and have some of the great memories I've had. You mentioned earlier about... Um... There was, there was techniques and stuff that you learnt later on in your career to try and maybe avoid your injuries and, and reduce yeah. them. What, what were they? So basically, I suppose, there was two things that I, that I kind of found out. It's probably late 20s. Uh, one was this uh, injections that I was having uh, from a, a doctor in, in Leicester, the only guy in the country that did it. Uh, and I only found that about that many, many years into my career uh, and they were a massive help. They got me through games and through, you know, and stopped me getting injured. 
they stopped me getting injured. And along with that, I, I went over to Denmark and paid, paid out my own money to fly out to Denmark, see a specialist out in Denmark and, and spend a week with him. Uh, and they gave you a, gave me a full program. And even now when I'm retired, if my back's sore and my hips are sore, I'll go out and do that program. I won't do it to the extent that I was doing it then because, you know, it was, it was hours a week, you know, and I haven't got the time to do it, but I can do half an hour here and there, you know, especially at the moment I'm doing half an hour a day doing it and, it. and it makes a massive difference to my hips and back. And it was, it was a shame that I didn't have that advice or guidance. Uh, maybe the, the technology, the science wasn't there when I was younger, but unfortunately it just came a little bit too late for me, but it, it probably gave me an extra three years in football that I, w- that I probably wouldn't have had. And you said there, there was, there was obviously some things you regret or some things that you'd, you'd have done differently. Mm. What, you know, it, other decisions and stuff that you made in your career or, or things that happened. Is there anything in particular that you look back on now and think, I wish I'd done that differently or I wish I'd made this decision at that time? I think at United, I probably could have done a lot more gym work. Uh, it sounds silly, but a lot more gym work in terms of strength work and spent a bit more time there rather than, you know, laughing about playing head tennis and other things. I've got to focus a bit more on that. I think that was probably just a me not, not appreciating the, the benefits it could have. Um, and, and like I say, I've learned that now because I still do those, this kind of strength work now, even as a retired ex-pro. But So that's one thing I think I could have probably worked a bit harder in that area when I was uh, playing uh, United. I think a couple of clubs I probably wouldn't have signed for, probably made the wrong decision. I shouldn't have gone down. Um, I should never, I probably shouldn't have, let, the key one probably being I shouldn't have left Barnsley to go to QPR. Um, I had a fantastic end of the season with Barnsley. You know, helped us stay up in the championship. Scored a lot of goals, uh, and I, th- I suppose I went for money because the, the financial rewards for going to sign for QPR, QPR were far far outweighed what I was getting paid at Barnsley. Uh, so it was probably a right decision in terms of financially because it helped me along the way, you know, you know, for life. But ultimately, I think I was I was settled at Barnsley. Uh, I could have had a couple more years there, and 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 who knows what could have happened. Um, but unfortunately, uh, those are the things that, that happened, and I went I went down south, and it didn't really work out as as well as I, as I, as I hoped it would have. And you you mentioned finances there. You obviously work as a a financial advisor now. Mm-hmm. What took you down that path, sort of after your career? Um, it was two two things I'd say. One was when I was younger at QPR actually uh, I was introduced to a so-called advisor this was before the regulations and stuff that are in place now were in force and I was advised to put some money into something uh, long story short lost it lost quite a lot of money um, and it really bothered me um, so after that point I kept a keen eye on where my money went where it was invested and basically the second part of this story is towards the end of my career, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do after football. And the guy that looked after me and my money since, you know, after the, the issue I had said, why don't you, why don't you do this? He goes, you obviously got a half decent brain. You could, you can, you could do the exams and you look after your money with us already. Uh, and you've got a good network of people you can go and help and, and work with. And why don't you, why don't you do this? So I studied while I was at Berry, And then, like I say, I had a bit of a smooth transition. Uh, like when I finished at Berry. To, to, to start on my new job as a financial advisor. And it's 
it's a it's a great job. I do really enjoy it. It's not as good as football. I'd be lying if I said it was, but it's uh it's it's something good, and I, and I'm genuinely helping people towards you know whatever it may be, protecting themselves, future savings, tax efficient savings and investments, or, or you know their, their, their retirement planning, whatever it may be. I'm, I'm helping people towards their end goal. And one of your um, key demographics in that role is professional footballers. What's what's the reason for that? I think that's that's who I know. I've I've been, you know, I was like I was in like I say, I was in football for uh, 17, 18 years, and it's it's the network of people that I know and uh, and, and work with all that all that time. So it, they're, they're they're great clients to have the football lads, uh, but they're also quite difficult to crack as well. Um, I suppose some of them really, really do look after their money, and, and some some of them are a nightmare with their money. So, if I can add any value or help, it, it's great. Um, but the young lads with a lot of money and s- certain things are, seem to be more important. But what they don't realise, it will soon end because football's a short career. And what is what would you say as as obviously somebody who's been a professional footballer and now working as a financial mm. advisor? What would you say the biggest issues that footballers have with with finances, sort of during and then during playing and, and after retirement? One, there's no help. So there, there is. Well, when I was younger, there wasn't much help. There's a lot more now. Uh, still, loads, loads, loads more needs to be to be made available to these young lads. But they're young lads, and they're getting this ridiculous amount of money, and they need a bit of guidance. Now, some of the lads have got a great head on their shoulders. Some haven't, and all. Ultimately, like I just said, the, the career is going to come to an abrupt end. That's that's the that's the reality of football. And if you've played League One, League Two, your whole career, you've earned good money, but you've not earned enough to to retire on. So it's key that they have some kind of cushion in place that when the the, the, the career abruptly ends, that they've got something that they can live off to pay the bills for X amount of time, whether it's start a new business, study, whatever it may be. But a lot of the lads will will get to. The retirement and they haven't got anything left and, it, and it's, it's a really difficult time for them and you mentioned there that the, there's there's not an enormous amount of help from within the game do you think that the football football clubs or the fa or the pfa do you think they have a responsibility to help young footballers with their with their finances absolutely uh, and, and i will say they, they they are doing it a lot more now i think every club you know, certain levels have to have to have this these sessions with the lads with the finances, and ultimately, it's it's up to the lads to make the decision. You can't force lads to do anything. So some lads take it on board, some lads don't. Um, they need parents' help, agents' help. I think I work with a couple of agents now who are fantastic. They want their lads to be to look after their money, and they've seen what I do, and I've seen how I can help players, and, and they appreciate, and they will introduce me to the players, but. It's up to the lads to, to make that decision. There's a lot of rogue agents out there as well who just don't care. They just obviously want to make their money. But there's also like a couple of agents that I work with that are fantastic and, and they really do want their, the best for their players, both on the field and off the field. So it's it's a, it's a tricky one because it's really important, finances, uh, making sure they're, they're safe and secure because you come to 34, 35 and you retire and you've got a family bills to pay etc etc you need to have something in place uh, while you make that next step and do you think obviously the amount of money that the footballers are paid particularly nowadays do you think that makes young footballers quite vulnerable oh yeah i mean i hear all the, 
the stories I could tell you about lads that got taken advantage of, I was one of them. There were so many schemes going around the football world when I was playing and some lads made small fortunes off it. Some lads lost small fortunes. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably read about these kind of schemes that are running around the football world. And it's, it's people, footballers want a quick book. And if they see this scheme that's saying you're going to get this after this amount of time, they're going to go for it. Well, not all of them, because some of them are sensible. But yeah, they're, they're very vulnerable because they're young. And if their parents aren't particularly clued up on the financial side, then and who else are they going to speak to about it? They're going to make rash decisions and and it, and it could be quite costly. And uh, obviously in your current role now, if when you're talking to, you know, younger footballers who are, who are breaking into the game and, you know, making a lot of money, what's the type of advice you, you give to them? Um, I think you, you've got to, they've got to prepare for life after football. They've got to protect themselves during football. So that's your career-ending insurances and your, your critical illness cover, life cover, that kind of thing, your mortgage cover. Like I say, preparing for life after football, making sure you put enough money away to, 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 to make sure you're secure when you retire. Also, enjoy your money. Enjoy your time. Do things. See the world in, in your time off. You know, you know, treat yourself. Treat your friends. Treat your family. It's not about putting every penny away so you don't have a life. It's about doing everything to, you know, in, in moderation where – you're enjoying your life, you're driving nice cars, living in a nice home, but also protecting yourself and looking after your future. And um, you mentioned there your, your current positions. You don't, you know, you'd be lying if it. You said it was as good as being a footballer. Mm. What What's the the main difference between kind of civilian life and, and, and footballer life? I've put on three stone uh, since... <laughs> <laughs> that did. actually that's a lawyer I've actually lost a st- I lost a st- just over a stone now since January I've had to get my, get my ass into gear so you, the fitness side is massive you don't realize how hard you work and how you know how lucky you are to be able to keep fit for a living um so that's that's the hours I mean some sometimes I find myself working 10 11 o'clock at night trying to get some bits and pieces done um home home life I'm, I'm i'm at work far more than i used to be uh, so i don't get to see as much time as, as with my daughters as, as i'd like um i mean it's it's a it's another world it's another world and i say this to the lads all the time i said play for as long as you can because you'll never have a lifestyle like it um you, you're literally getting paid well for doing something you love um and it yes it's hard work but it's it's good hard work because you're keeping fit you're playing football and you're in around your mates having banter every day so it's uh, it is another world. Um, so yeah, we spoke with Miguel Delaney, the, the journalist who writes for the Independence on earlier this week, and, and we were talking about um, the Danny Rose interview from 2018, where he spoke quite mm. candidly about sort of depression and anxiety. As someone who's who obviously had a 17 year career, mm. what was that like to read? Yeah, it was it was tough. Um, it's tough, and it was admirable, really. I think a couple of lads that. I mean, Stephen McPhee as well, the one of the lads I know who came out. I don't know if you've ever read anything about him and what he went through. It was it was tough, tough about to, to read both and admirable in the same you know in the same respect because they, they've come out and done something that not many people have. Um, heartbreaking, really, because I think they obviously didn't have the help they needed when they needed it. Um, tough to take, but, but glad they're able to you know they're out on the other side. And, and and they're they're happy now if that makes sense and they 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 really got a different focus on life different outlook on life and I think the 
the more lads that do that would benefit hugely from it because it, it, there's definitely quite a few out there that have struggled or, are, or who are struggling. And do you think do you think there's a reason why you know it, you know Danny Rose is probably a, a, a notable example because there aren't an enormous amount of high profile mm. players who talk about yeah. that type of thing. Do you think there's a reason why sort of high-profile footballers, particularly during their career, don't speak out about depression, anxiety, those type of things? Yeah, pride more than that, I think. I think they bottle it all up and they're in this environment with a load of lads that they don't think they can. So a bit of, a bit of pride, a bit of the fat fear. Um, but to, talking on a personal level, I... I I, I think it's admirable that they've done this and I'd have no issues in any of my ex-teammates or at the time or, or now coming out and saying it. I think obviously does a lot of good and I think it's only, I don't know, idiots that would give them any stick for it really. I think, yes, you can have idiots in the stadium and, and they will always get it, but you'd be surprised how much helps out there. I think there's someone who passed away that I knew who I lived with for a short period of time that did pass to committed suicide not so long ago, who was in the game. And when I saw it, I hadn't spoken to him for years, but it, it was heartbreaking. I would have done anything I possibly could have had he just given me a call. I wasn't even close with him still. I hadn't spoken to him for many years, but it, it's tough and people would be willing to help you. I remember thinking that like I'd have done anything to to try and help him and not do what he did, and it's good that these lads talk. And ultimately, there's 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 plenty of people and plenty of help out there, or people willing to help you. And it's it's really tough. And I would urge anyone who's feeling it a certain way to 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 talk because people will be there for you. You, you mentioned there the someone that you live with who, who committed suicide. Do you? presumably thinking back it, it came as a shock because you had no idea that they were feeling that way or potentially feeling that way yeah, I had no idea as far as I was concerned he was a you know solid lad in terms of there was no issues men, mental health issues with him I, I, I don't even know if that was the case but I just remember reading it and I was choked me up a little bit and it's like it spoke to my mum my and dad about it because they obviously came across him a couple of times as well and without making it about myself, but, you know, I would have helped, like I say, I would have helped him. There'd have been millions of, like, loads of lads out there would have, would have, I mean, the tributes that came out on social media for him, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's obviously, it's obviously out there and, like I say, there's plenty of help for people if they need it, even if it's just, you know, someone that they haven't spoken to for many years. Uh, I'd be willing to speak to any of my ex-teammates should they need to, or, or anyone in, in that matter. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a it's a it's a tough subject. It obviously affects quite a lot of people. And um, one of the one of the, the sort of topics that we're um, looking to, to to talk about is kind of football's relationship with masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you you came through as a, a, a young footballer, Jordan. Manchester United's time with Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, as you say, the likes of Roy Keane and, and Gary Neville and Paul Scholes. And from the outside, it appears to be quite a macho environment. Do you think football as an industry has a, an issue with the way that it glorifies that sort of idea of masculinity? Um, 
you probably yeah it was a good point i think yeah i think so it was especially when i was playing it was you deal with it yourself um get on with it probably but and i keep on saying i was very lucky that i could and it didn't affect me but that is that is not going to be the same for anyone everyone but you do have to be mentally tough to be a professional footballer i, I strongly believe that but that doesn't mean you won't have mental health issues during that time um so yeah i think it's a, it's a very good point i think i do think the the football world is warming more towards you know help and, and you know helping lads or having that available to lads that need it so i do think it is improving yeah absolutely i think you could you could say that absolutely and do you think um do you think obviously as as you say there about you know, you need to be mentally tough and what have you. And we spoke to um, to Alex Hay, who who had a, a quite short professional career, but he spent some some a couple of years at, at our club, Tramere, and, and he said that he thought that ultimately the reason that his career didn't last as long as he'd like it to, liked it to have was because perhaps he didn't have a strong enough mentality. And I, I wonder if there might be a case to be made that it's not so much about strong or weak mentality, but just different personalities and and maybe mm. certain types of people, particularly you know maybe fifteen twenty years ago, the struggle to to make it in the game because it you know it, you need to be a certain type of person to be able to make it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, it is a certain type of personality to to a certain to, mentality is key, but it doesn't mean you're mentally weak if if you can't hack the football world. It 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 just means it's not for you, uh, and that could be said for any aspect of life. I think. I'm now self-employed. This is tougher than anything I've ever had to do. And I've, you know, being a footballer, being self-employed, knowing that you have to, not having a contract, a place of work, you know, it's, for me, that's tougher than anything I ever went through in football. So I think everything in life, football, work, family, whatever it may be, is going to have an effect on you emotionally or, and it's just all about your personality and how, how you can handle these. And certain things can be handled better by different people in different scenarios. And that's just all down to a, a, on a personal level. Um, and yeah, they, like it, it's, it, it, it's a weird one really, because anything in life can affect someone in a different way. And it's just being open to, to being able to help those people, whatever they need at that time, whatever the issue may be. And you mentioned there you're, you're self-employed, and obviously, at the moment we're you know we're all on, mm-hmm. on lockdown. How are you? Uh, how are you coping with the, you know, the, the the lockdown situation at the moment? Well, for me, it's the uncertainty. Um, it's obviously my my wife doesn't work. Uh, well, she doesn't work full time because we've got a young, we've got a two year old who she she looks after. Uh, I'm I'm not one of these people that are finding it hard at the moment. I'm I'm, I'm loving it. I'm spending loads of time with my family, uh, seeing my girls. I've got two daughters, spending loads of time with them, which is I don't usually get to do. So I'm loving it at the moment. It's difficult in the sense that we can't go many places and do certain things. But my main worry is how long will this last? And ultimately, I've got to I've got to work to pay my bills. Uh, and if, if if I don't work, I'm, I'm not getting paid. Um, I'm not one of those lucky ones that can go back three years in terms of my finances because I was actually building this. Last couple of years, so my first couple of years' wages were nowhere near enough to cover what my outgoings are. Um, but 
I've, like I say, I was lucky. I saved a bit of money over my time, so I can see myself through. But my my main worry is how long will this last? And ultimately, I need I need to be out there working. And I I presume you've had conversations with footballers who were you know obviously they're, they're a bit uncertain at the moment with their contracts coming to end or yes. not sure when they're going to be able to start playing again. Um, how do you think that 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 must be for 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 them at, at this time? Yes, it's, I mean, the ones that have got the contracts they aren't too worried about, obviously, because they've got a two, three-year contract, whatever it may be. The lads that I've spoken to that are coming towards the end of their deal, it is a worry for them because there's nothing their agents can do. There's nothing they can do. They don't even know if the season's going to finish. They don't know if their contracts are going to be extended. They don't know if they'll be able to leave on a free or, you know, they might have clubs that are ready to sign them and they've got the worry of getting injured without a contract. It, it's... It's it's a real difficult one for the for the football lads, um, and half of them they don't they don't know what to do with themselves all this time as well. They're just twiddling their thumbs at home trying to keep as fit as possible. So yeah, it's difficult, but it's difficult for everybody at this moment in time. It's 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 a bit unique, isn't it? And what mm-hmm. we're to do. So yeah, I do feel for them, but for, for, for they're they're earning good money as well. They're still getting paid. Once they stop getting paid or anything like that happens, that's when you'll you'll start to to, to worry for, for for certain lads. But hopefully, it, it won't get to that point. But yeah, difficult for some of them because they're coming to the end of their contract and they're a bit uncertain of on, on how things are going to go over the next few months. Did you um did you have any dealings with any of the 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 Berry players that had went you know some of the issues with with the Shaman and what have you um, mm. towards the end of last season? Yeah, yeah, I did. I had a couple of dealings with them. Um, I mean, very tough for some of them. Um, no money coming in. Not necessarily got that much saved. Uh, I know a few people struggled with paying the bills and mortgage and stuff because all, like you say, it's a great lifestyle and some of them were earning really good money. It, 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 they've still got the outgoings there and they've got to pay their mortgage or nursery fees, whatever it may be. So it was tough for them. Um, I've dealt with a couple of them with their... Well, Pensions weren't being paid by the company, by Berry, uh, and they're owed a few thousand pounds. Whether I get that back or not, it's, I don't know, but it was, there's a lot of anger there, let's put it that way. <laughs> Welcome back. I've still got Ryan and Ant in the virtual studio with me, lads. Nardi Allen, quite an interesting career, quite an interesting post career. Ryan, I think one of the things that we spoke about was just how positive he was about his career, despite some difficulties with injuries and, and the usual kinds of ups and downs that you get in a in a career such as a footballer. Yeah, and I think that's something important to get across because we often have episodes where there's a lot of trauma involved um, or a lot of serious moments in the life that they, they reflect on. And it, it can often be a case of what if... Um, and I think it's important to take the messages away from a different angle of positivity whereby you can learn from from people who've gone before you and, and what they've done to make their life easier or transition after the game, which I think Nardiello did really well. One thing I would say about him as well is he, he touched on having like a really good support network and his parents. And his dad obviously played the game, so I think probably having that gave him a sense of being grounded and and what to expect out the game and how far he could go with it. And 
he always said he, how much he enjoyed the game, how much he realised he won't enjoy anything after football as much as it. But that's not to say that he won't enjoy anything again. Um, and I think that's a feeling a lot of footballers get, that nothing will replace football. And I think to a degree, nothing can replace football. So you have to accept that and you have to find out what, what's the next phase in your life and how to move on to it. And I think he's done that really well. Um, and again, on, on the sort of financial aspect of things, a lot of the episodes we've done have been around maybe the mismanagement of money or how addiction has led to lack of money. And there's a lot of good lessons in there for anyone listening on on how to maybe keep yourself a few years ahead. Um, so, yeah, a lot of positivity in there, a lot of reflection, uh, a lot of things that did go against them, but it didn't define them. And I think that's very important. And one of the things we were talking about in the last episode was footballers as role models. And Dan obviously looked back on, on his time, maybe with a different head now that he's sort of in his late 30s to, to how he was when he was in his teenage years, which is very relevant to the conversation we were having the other day. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the first things he said, doesn't he? Uh, you know, looking at looking at it with a different, more mature head. And it, it just it makes you realise that, you know, we're asking... Um, young footballers to to be the perfect image right at that moment in time and you know we're not going to get there straight away it takes a lot of time and even down to his you know fitness regime as well uh, looking back on it he wishes he'd done it a bit of a different way and and maybe sought out a little bit more help earlier um, so it was just really nice to hear and uh, it kind of puts it in perspective and following on from that conversation we had the other day um, you know it it makes it a bit more clearer that you've got you've got to learn, you've got to experience all these these things in your life to to eventually come around and go right. Well, this is the way I think. This is how my morals and beliefs and and, and everything else is going to be set out. So, um, look, having him do that interview, looking back, was brilliant for us. I think. Yeah, as you say, he does look back very positively over his career. It, it was a career that was that lasted a long time. You know, over three hundred games professionally, over a hundred goals, played for some really big clubs, and as we say, started at United around the time they won the treble. Arguably the biggest and best club in the world at that time, with you know Beckham's goals, gigs, those type of players in and around. But it wasn't a career that was without its difficulties. We we heard about times that he had frustrations with injuries. He, I think he kind of glazed over some of those aspects of it. He, he mentioned having a hip operation he, he mentioned breaking his back and you think he's only 37 now and for someone to get to 37 and to have had a hip operation and having broken their back if you were sat talking to someone that you knew that wasn't a professional athlete you'd think fucking hell you've been through the mill you one of the things that, that stuck out quite quite big with with dan was that he had some issues maybe with with getting caught up in a bit of a dodgy scheme which he mentioned that a lot of footballers can be can fall foul of in quite a vulnerable position. One of the big things that you're always told that if you're prone to anxiety is to never get in trouble with money. That's one big thing that they always advise to, yeah. Yeah, to keep your finances on a on a level playing field because it's it's it's, an, it's such a, a common cause of anxiety and stuff that it's that's the type of thing that you can you can you can actively keep in check if you know what I mean. And interestingly enough, he obviously now works as a financial advisor and. And also has, has had involvement with Barry, and they've had their financial troubles. Ryan, we've we've mentioned a number of times about the fact that we're all obviously lower league football fans, and to look at a club like Barry and see, 
you know, despite the fact that there is a little bit of a little bit of rivalry between Tranmere and Berry, it's still sad to see a club like that that's been around for you know over a hundred years and, and and as a staple of the community to to disappear. Yeah, that that's true, Dan. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, us three played for uh, a team called Rovers Rearguard, which was a Tranmere supporters team, and for us, it did get a bit feisty with Berry simply because we knew a lot of the lads, so we had that sort of camaraderie and I suppose you'd call it banter with them um, and I remember when we got relegated to the National League getting phone calls from Berry fans in the middle of the night laughing that we got relegated to the, to the conference and I've never really hated a club because I think that's a bit bizarre to hate a club but I, I did have a strong dislike to Berry if I'm being very honest but when that unfolded with the, um, the owner of the club I must admit, I took zero satisfaction in seeing that happen. My sort of dislike towards Berry was was just ninety minutes of I'd want to beat them, and quite often we didn't beat them. Uh, and uh, they've they've celebrated promotion twice at Brenton Park. I've been there both times, and I've haven't I've never even seen Tramway get promoted at Brenton Park. So to see another team get promoted twice, and I'm not even thirty, so I would. But um, yeah, to see that happen is so sad. I, I was. I think he talked about um, a generation of family where the grandparents took their kids and then their kids took the grandkids and they'd been going for 50 years, for nine months of the year. And when you think about that, how damaging that could be, how much that family must miss going to games, how much I can't envisage never having football in my life. It's not a case of just go and support another team. It really can be the lifeblood of a community, and to have that stripped away by a man who had no interest in the club, for the FA to stand by and let that happen, it's it's an absolute disgrace. And I'm not one of those who believe that United or City should have bailed them out. I think you set a dangerous precedent when you do that. But the fact that somebody with his track record could get hold of that club when it was a ticking time bomb under Stuart Day anyway, he should have been investigated long before. I've got nothing but sympathy for the fans. I think it, it's outrageous, to be honest with you. And, and uh, you were very passionate about that, like the importance of football clubs' relationships with their local community. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a. It's, I think it's one of the most important things things going really. I, with Barry, it was it was sad. It was really, really sad to see you know these fans who've been going. You know, if you put yourself in in their position, it's 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 unthinkable really. And and we've come close to it a, a few times. Um and you know, we're I think we're quite lucky that we've we've got the owners that we have. Uh with with Barry it was it was a difficult conversation to have because at one stage you need to criticize the owner and the way the clubs run. Um but that kind of got mixed in with the fans as well. Um it almost became like the fans were the the voice of the club. Um, because the the owner seemed from the outside looking in to hide from it, um, but I think that tells you more about the man himself than than anything else. Uh, Ryan's right; how he managed to get hold of a football club uh, is is quite beyond me. Um, the fan, the fans. Uh, I think the the planning a, a Phoenix club, um, so hopefully they can they can do that. But again, we've seen it in the past. You know, like the likes of AFC Wimbledon and. And that, and it's really, really difficult to to get that off the ground for the start, and and to even find that passion again. Um, I'm sure that the Betty fans will will definitely support it in in every way possible. And knowing our luck, they'll probably come and dance on our pitch again, uh, which I, I think they enjoy. 
Um, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll we'll have the chance to dance on someone else's. But uh, yeah, I think for a community, I, I know a friend of mine who, who's lived in Bury, and and it's everything. You know, he never just took it away from the fans. He took it away from the businesses that helped the, that club at the time as well. I think there was a big list going around on on social media where he owed a lot of companies, a lot of money. And it was little companies, you know, even from like batches being made uh, for the for the burgers and stuff. So uh, hopefully that community can be rebuilt and, and, and get back to where it was and have a football club at the heart of that as well. Yeah, that feeder club that you mentioned, Ant, is uh, Berry AFC, which if anyone wants to find them on Twitter, is at official Berry AFC. Um, and I think they made an, an application for the Northwest Counties, which uh, I think one of us has, has played at that level. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I think positive steps being made, at least there. And in some guises, you know, hopefully they, they do get their club back. And, and, and I suspect, given that, you know, they are a fairly decent sized club, that they'll get back to, to a good level at, at some point. Um, moving on from that, I, I'll tell you one thing which I thought was really interesting, which you mentioned. When we were talking about the Danny Rose interview. Um, one thing that I thought was really positive that, that, that Dan was talking about was how, you know, if there was a player that he was playing with that was having a similar issue and had come out and spoke about it, that from his point of view, he certainly wouldn't have had any issues with it. He wouldn't have treated them any different. And part of that will obviously be because Dan seems like a very level-headed, really nice chap and very friendly and what have you. But it seems from the conversations that we've had with all the footballers so far have been that had somebody in their team opened up in that way in the changing room, generally the reaction probably would have been pretty good and the lads would have rallied around them and, and, and they get that kind of camaraderie in there, which I think is a really positive thing, particularly when we're trying to have these conversations about people opening up and talking more. If professional footballers are looking at their environments and feeling as though, yeah, do you know what I feel like if somebody spoke up here, then it would be fine which should then hopefully translate to people actually feeling as though they can do it in the future. Ryan, I suppose for you listening to that, was that, did you take the same sort of thing from that? I did, mate. I took exactly that. And I think it, it can apply across all walks of life. You, looking at it, it's, it's like that thing when you're in a group chat with a lot of lads and it's always like alpha male and aggressive. But there's that odd moment someone turns around and says, listen, lads, pack it in, or listen, I'm having a bad day, or they might even say this has happened. And, and all of a sudden, it's like the whole group just goes, oh, mate, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that was going on, or I didn't think. It's just, it comes natural to just say something to somebody, especially groups of lads. It, it really does. But I do like to think that in most cases, when somebody steps forward, and, and this Mental Health Awareness Week, I've seen a lot of people release statements on my own personal timeline and also like sports people that um, I'm, I don't know, but I'm aware of. I think Ricky Miller did one. Uh, I've seen a few others from, from current and ex-pros. I think Andy Robinson did, did something similar with Swansea. The reaction I find is all, it's not always good, but it tends to be positive because people, I don't think, always say these things because they want to necessarily hurt anybody. They say these things just to get an immediate reaction and that sort of instant satisfaction of being able to say them. Um, and equally, when, when somebody is struggling, I think a lot of people will help, even if they don't know you that well. I think Nardiello touched on um, 
he he's, he knows about former players that have had troubles or, or even worse um, committed suicide. And he said, and he did mention that. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't close to them. I hadn't spoken to them for years. But if they reached out, I would have helped. I think that uh, rang true for how he came across all the interview. Very level-headed, uh, very easy to get on with. I think that was in his nature. Very kind-hearted. Um, but yeah, there's an important sort of sub-message to what you're saying there, Dan, which is don't be scared that you won't get any help uh, because st- you certainly won't get any help staying silent. And even if only one person helps you when you speak up, it's it's one more than none, isn't it? So uh, I think it's it, there's an important message in there that any help is good help. Yeah, precisely. I think I think that's the most important thing. It's, an, it's a nice comparison you make with a WhatsApp group, really. They're right because I think we've spoken about how the sort of WhatsApp group environment is very similar to a a changing room environment, particularly for for lads like us who, who've known each other from the football, because you kind of replicate that same type of you know, for want of a better way of banter and, and, and interaction and stuff. And and it, it, it is true, I think, we've all, all all said it in the past, but your mates are your mates and, and genuinely, if you if you say something to them, the like does is that you'll get a good reaction. And even if they can't help you, I think just getting it off your chest helps massively. Thanks again for listening this week. If you've enjoyed the show or any of the others in the catalogue, then, then give us a review, give us a like, give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on whatever else it is that you get your your podcast from. Before we leave you with Daniel Nardiello's quickfire questions, the final episode of Series 2 will be coming up on Monday where we'll be speaking with none other than Everton and Wales legend Big Neville Southall. And Ryan, talk to me. How excited are we for Big Nev? Yeah, um, it's not that often you get to... uh to speak to somebody who's achieved as much as he did in the game. And for us starting out as well, uh, when we got the message through, it came through Katie to say he's agreed to do it. It was just unbelievable. And then there was almost an extra heightened sense of excitement because he ended up doing a tweet, which we didn't even ask him to do that night, saying, not doing any podcasts for a while. Tonight will be my last one. So it was one of them moments where it just felt like you were in the right place at the right time. And, it wasn't just the fact he's had a great career. We wanted to speak to him. He's actually really cares about uh, the well-being of, of others. And most of his time now is dedicated to helping others. So he was also the perfect fit to speak to. Yeah, and I'm, as a fellow cat, that must have been, uh, must have been a big moment. Never helpful. The stuff he did back in, back in the 80s and the 90s is ridiculous. At one point, he was the world's best keeper. And there's no argument in that. I won't have anything said said differently. Watch the footage. He is unbelievable. I think there's a save at Sheffield Wednesday, which beggars belief. Um, so to speak to someone of that quality and speaking to a, a link to Everton's, you know, glorious history really was was unbelievable to to get the chance to do. Yeah, of course. That 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 video of that save was we used it as part of the 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 trailer for. For series two, it is absolutely ridiculous. And then he, off the corner that follows that, he then makes another save. It's phenomenal. He shouldn't be able to do that. Like, he shouldn't be able to do it. You look at him and you go, no, no way. So to find more details about Neville Southall's episode, head over to the Twitter, which is at marking underscore man. That'll be out on Monday in all the usual places. And we'll now leave you with 
Daniel Nardiello's quickfire. And we'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening. Is David Beckham as handsome in person as he is on the television? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a simple answer. Lovely. <laughs> which uh, which of his which of his haircuts did you think was the best one he, he went for, Dan? Or did you try, did you ever feel like imitating any of his hairdos? I know I did when I was younger. Yeah. Do you know what? This is the funny one because I spoke about this one, Mrs. yesterday. Um, basically, as a lot of lads seem to be doing, I couldn't, my hair was just going crazy. And I'm not going to the barbers at the moment because of coronavirus. So I just shaved it all off. She goes, and she sent me this picture of what blokes who shave their head think they're going to look like. Compared <laughs> and, and, the, and it was Bex with his skinhead as opposed to some fat geezer with no hair, uh, which she said, which she was implying that I look like now putting on three stone. But um, his best haircut, I think. Skinhead, wasn't it? It was. He looked. Uh, he could pull it off. So, yeah, that's what I'll go for that one. And uh, did um, did Alex Ferguson really have a bottle of wine with with the managers after every game? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, I, I think I think I played for Steve Evans after with you know afterwards, and he said that he had a bottle of you know a bottle of red with with um, Sir Alex after the game as well. Okay, uh, so you have an Italian heritage, Dan. Can you actually mm-hmm. speak any Italian? <laughs> no, a few words here and there. My sister can, my dad can, and obviously my grandparents and stuff. Um, but no, I, my dad made me go to Italian lessons when I was younger. Um, but I, I told him I didn't want to do it because I wanted to play football instead. Um, so no, unfortunately not. Pretty poor from me, that. <laughs> um, you were... You were- Infamous, John, you clear for being a, a bit of a championship manager legend. Um, <laughs> have you ever signed yourself on a football game? Every football game I played, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starting, captain, penalties, free kicks. No, definitely on penalties. I'm not captain. I was never much of a, a leader. Um, but um, no, I always signed myself and always tried to score as many goals myself. It was pro Evo, championship manager. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so this one might be a bit harder. Uh, so the funniest thing you've ever seen or heard on a football pitch? Do you know, it's, it's probably the funniest one for me, I suppose, when I was young at the time. I remember when Gary Lineker clapped himself on the pitch and he's there wiping it on, on the floor. And that just, just a memory that sticks in my mind. I remember thinking it was hilarious when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'll tell you what, on that, that picture of Paul Scholes, where uh, I think we all know the one we're talk- I'm talking about, where his shorts come open a little bit during the tackle. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is that is that real? I I don't know. I would, I'd be lying if I said I knew. I had no idea. I presume so. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Uh, and during your career, Dan, what was the, the your favourite chant that a, that, a, that a club sang about you? I think it, it's a. I like the da, 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 Daniel Nardiello, and that's my singing. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably my favourite one. <laughs> like that one. <laughs> okay, Dan. So you never scored at Prenton Park. Uh, is that the biggest disappointment you have in your career? <laughs> I never knew that. No, they give me some stick actually. Um, that was, they think was it? What were they were singing something. I should know this. They were singing something, and then the Barnsley fans jumped back on the bandwagon and gave them something back, but. No, it isn't because I've had a nice promotion there when you got relegated. So sorry. About that. <laughs> I thought you might bring that up. That's harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> uh, you're back where you belong now. <laughs> and uh, what what would you say is the biggest myth about footballers? Oh, the lifestyle. 
hundred percent the lifestyle. I mean, what was that show when we were younger? Cribs. I can't know. Oh, uh, the dream team. Yeah, God, yeah, couldn't be further from the blooming tree. I mean, I know that was a tie highest level, but no, I think the, the lifestyle because I think, especially with the likes of when I was United and, and the work that some of the, those blokes put in. Uh, I mean, that's why they're at the top of the game. They, their work ethic was was second to none. Um, so there's a lot of um, sacrifices you got to make as a footballer, uh, and so yeah, I'd say the lifestyle being being a myth because. Football lads do do actually genuinely work really hard. Okay, and finally, Dan, uh, obviously you spent a little bit of time in a treatment room. Which physio gave the best massages? <laughs> uh, I don't know, because my wife might listen to this. I'll have to... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not one of the female physios. I'd say... Um, you could, Nick Meese, he was a good. In fact, Nick Meese, hundred percent. He's now the Wigan physio, but he's if you if you look at Nick Meese, he is a monster. He's so strong, so he, he gave a proper sports massage. It hurt, but you know you felt good afterwards. Daniel Nardiello on loan from Manchester United scored his sixth goal as he sidestay eleventh. Swindon climb a place to fourth. It will be Nardiello to take the penalty and put Rotherham in front for the first time. Well, you might be braver than me, Gary. I would not like to try and predict a winner at this time now. You just can't. It's been end-to-end -end for the whole match. And it's Howard taking Barnsley forward again. Oh, bit greedy, but it could still pay! Oh, it most certainly has for Nardiello! Unbelievably, now Barnsley are in front! And that could be the goal that takes them to the final! Well, I think this takes Rahupka by total surprise. I think he thought the ball was going to be laid to Hayes. Good strikers follow things up. Terrific strike. I think the movement to the end does the keeper there. Nardiello does the rest. Reaction? Just a little. <laughs> um, it's funny you should mention that chant, Dan, because that's what we've been singing. <laughs> oh, really? About you. So, yeah, every time we've gone, <laughs> right, we've got um, we've got um, uh, Daniel Nardiello we're doing this weekend, and then one of us will always hit it with a da, 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 Daniel <laughs> Nardiello. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Class. Fantastic.